0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. My name is Blake, as James said, and I'm um, excited to be with you. That's my wife. Her name is Sarah, and we've been married for five years, which is um, weird. Um, to think, but it's happened quickly. On the left is our daughter. Her name is Ella Grace, and her throat was hurting this morning, so they weren't able to come with me. Just wanted to play it safe. So um, but today's her birthday. So if you're watching, happy birthday, Ella. She turned four, um, which is sweet for us. My wife's good at doing the presents. I'm not. So she had a lot to have this morning, and not, none of it was because of me. Um, so that's my daughter, Ella. And then on the right is our um, second child, Millie Kate. So, it's um, it's it's been an honor and a blessing. God's doing um, a lot with with my family and. I'm just thankful to be here. And I I met James, I met him when I was 12, I didn't remember that, because who remembers anything from when they're 12? Um, But I do remember meeting him a couple years ago, and it was just, it was really interesting for us to come. Uh, We both worship at the same church back in Greenville, and just to be invited in up here was really special, and it really was helpful for us. And it started a relationship, little did we know. Um, And James has been helpful to me as a young leader, and just to me and Brady as young dads, young people with family, just kind of watching from afar what's been happening and um, I've actually been watching y'all's church for since it started and it's just been kind of cool for me to see what God's been doing um through COVID, through a bunch of challenges, through um, starting this room. I, I remember watching videos of this room being built, all that. And so it's just interesting to be here. And I just want to tell you that I'm grateful. And so I just want to continue in um, Exodus, is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're actually going to start in um, four and mostly live in five, but I do want to start in four. And uh, just to give you an update, if you are new, uh, if this is your first time at Reach Life, Me too. So glad to be here. Uh, Really, this is my second. But so this is what's happening in the book is um, the people of Israel have been under um, the rule of the Egyptians for some time. Um, Moses, he went away because he killed a guy, had to go away for a while. God gets him. He sends him back in and he sends him in on this mission to rally the Israelites. And what God is promising is that he's going to bring deliverance. So Moses goes back in, he meets with the elders that we're going to see here in a minute, and the whole goal is that um, God's going to deliver the people from Israel. And here's what we're going to see, is that um, whether you're in captivity in Egypt or experiencing a pandemic in Asheville, whether you are um, in captivity under Egyptian leadership or whether you work under a bad boss, right? Right? Whether you're enslaved under Pharaoh or you have a hard situation here, whether there's difficulty in Egypt or difficulty in Asheville, what we're going to see is this question that's going to linger in this passage. And it's this, is do we believe that God is good even when things are not? And that's the question that they're going to be faced with, is do they believe that things are good even when things are not? So I want to start in verse 4 as a backdrop for what we're going to see in verse 5. So let's read. Uh, In verse 27 is where we're going to be starting. It says this, Now the Lord had said to Aaron, I'm I'm reading the NLT. Y'all might not use that normally. So I just realized y'all might be like, what version is he using? Uh, NLT, sorry. So if y'all don't use that normally. Um, Now the Lord had said to Aaron, go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard the Lord was concerned about them and, seen, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped him. Well, that's a cool scene right there, right? that for the in a new way it seems like the people of Israel can feel that God sees them and not just that he sees them but that he's concerned with them. And so a lot of you if you're a Christian in this room you know what that is like for the first time to realize that God sees you. And so um when I was pursuing my wife um she uh was unlike any woman I'd ever dated before. And the interesting part about uh, the context of our dating relationship was we were on this singing team together, and we would travel each week and sing at different churches. The group name was called Joyful Sound, so we would just go make Joyful Sounds. And um, the thing was, she was the team leader, but she was a student teacher, so she couldn't really lead the whole year, so she needed an assistant team leader, a mini-me. And that's the role that I had. And so um, what did that look like was very difficult things like driving to Bilo to get the Snickers for the weekend, right? And so we would go get the snacks. And very quickly, it only took about a week before I realized that I wanted to make this more than just um, assistant leader relationship. But I also realized we had to go get the Snickers for the rest of the year. So I didn't want to really gamble that hard. So what I tried to start doing is I tried to start putting out feelers just to see if she was biting on anything. And um, it's interesting because my wife isn't really like the touchy-feely, flirty type. So I couldn't really get many reads going on. Until one day, I was driving down um, one of our campus roads in my O2 Toyota Camry, beige. It was a good car. And um, I saw her, and she was walking with a group. But the thing that I noticed was she was walking with this other dude. And I almost wrecked. (laughs) And so I'm driving, and I'm like, okay. So I start sizing them up. I'm like, okay, let's see, about five nine. All right, got that, white dude, okay, cool. So I keep driving, and then I get a text from her while she's walking with the guy. And she says, I see you. I was like, that's right. And then not only was there, um, I see you, but there was not one exclamation point, not two, but three, three of them things. Now, go back to my wife's personality. That's not really who she is. She's not sending the casual I see you text, right? So I was like, Jesus, I'm in. This is all I needed, right? And so um, when she said that to me, I mean, it quite literally changed everything about my life, you know? Because this is, here we are, two kids later. But this is what was interesting is, like, I knew when she said that to me that that meant something, that that was going to change the nature of our relationship. And that's happening here for them spiritually is that God sees them and their heart is changed, and they bow down and they worship him. And so again, if you're a Christian in the room, you know what this feels like. Maybe for some of you, you grew up without a father. And so when you met God, he became the first version of a father you had ever had. Or maybe you never really experienced healthy relationships. And so when you came to the church, um, you you, saw, you felt that God was seeing you by the relationships he was giving you. Or maybe you've had a great life, but God in his kindness made you aware of your sin and you felt seen by him because he sent Jesus to die for it. So it's this really cool moment at the end of chapter four. It's almost like this mountaintop experience where they are filled with belief. And that's the key word, is that they believe that God sees them. It's not this just this feeling, it's this mindset. They believe that God sees them and they're filled with belief and it caused them to bow down and worship. But here's the hard reality of mountaintop moments, is that... Um, It's not actually where most of life is spent, right? Most of life isn't spent on top where we have this overwhelming sense of God's presence, where we believe, right? That's not where most of life is spent. What usually happens is on the other other side of a mountaintop experience um, is a low point or a series of low points. And when when we hit those low points, it can sometimes make us question everything that we believe back up top. And that's what we're going to see today, is that when difficulties arise, the people of Israel start to disbelieve that God is good, and they start to doubt that he will actually keep his promise. And a bunch of theologians have read this and asked a bunch of questions that are much smarter than the question that I'm going to ask today. But this is the question that I read when I read this text. is um, You see them here in chapter 4, and they're on top of the world. They believe in God. And then by the end of chapter 5, they're going to be in total disbelief, total unbelief, and they're going to basically reject God and reject the leaders that he sent. So this is the question that I ask, and I want us to think about as we study this today, is how do they go from chapter four being filled with belief to chapter five being filled with unbelief, rejecting God? And then I hope we can find ourselves in that question. All right, Exodus 5. After this presentation to Israel, Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Pharaoh says this, is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I'm, I will not let Israel go. So the plan's not really working like they thought it was going to, Right. And as I read this, I can't help but thank my, my, my four-year-old. she um, She's highly verbal, has a lot of words all the time. 7 a.m., 7 p.m., all in between, a lot of words. So sometimes she'll come up to me and she'll say, hey, Daddy, I'm going to get a snack. I'm going to go sit on the floor and live living room. I'm going to watch a show. And then when I get done with that show, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get another snack. I'm going to go back and watch another show, okay? And I'm like, is that so? <laughs> And what this is what I'm thinking in that moment. I'm like, man, she really thinks that she's in charge. Right. And she's not in charge. And I say a snack. You're not you're not having a snack. Right. You're not going to watch a show. You can go play with your toys. Right. That's my concession. And that's what Pharaoh is doing here. He's just condescending him. He's like, "Who, who I don't even know who the Lord is. Much less am I going to respond to him in this moment. And what's interesting is, is Pharaoh thinks that he's in charge. And it's a fair point because he's been in charge for a long time. At least he thinks he has. So you got to think if this leader has been ruling a group of people for hundreds of years, he's probably like, man, doesn't seem like your God's really worth worshiping. Because I run this around here. I've been in charge for a long time. Verse three, but Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord. If we don't, he will kill us with a plunge or with the sword. So they're switching up their strategy. They're like, all right, he didn't bite on what God says. So let me make this personal. If we don't do it, he's going to kill us. And then Pharaoh replied, well, Moses and Aaron, why are you distancing the people from their task? Go back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. So the personal strategy of, hey, listen, we're really worried if we don't do this, God's going to kill us. That doesn't really work anyway. And it just seems to make Pharaoh rise up a level. And now he has two things to deal with. One, I don't like the Lord. I don't know who he is. And then number two, you're being lazy. Just get back to work. Verse six. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foreman, and he said this, Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. So that was seems, seemingly their main job, was to make bricks. And straw was an important part of that process. Now, I looked up the definition, and I was going to try to recite it back to you all. I can't really fully tell you why it was important, but it was important. It helped, it, it helped the bricks stay together. So without it, it's going to make their job harder, right? And so he's saying, don't get that for them anymore. Make them do it. So you got to understand what's happening. God says, hey, I'm going to deliver you. First, Pharaoh laughs at him and says, I don't even know who you're talking about. Second, he says, "Um, get back to your work. And then third, he says, I'm going to make the job harder. And so you're like... "Um, well, let's read verse 8 first. But still, require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't, re- don't reduce the quota. So don't give them straw, but keep the, keep the expectations the same. And so when you're reading this, especially if you put yourself in the mind of them, they're like, hold up, God. I thought you talked about deliverance. I thought you were going to free us from this. They're like, hey, God, do you see this? You see what's happening? This doesn't seem to be what you're talking about, right? And the promise that you're giving us, it isn't really happening. And so this is um, where I think unbelief is probably starting to set in. This is where I think they're beginning to go from belief to unbelief. And I think it's where unbelief is starting to take root because the plans aren't happening like they thought and God's promise isn't manifesting like they planned. And here's one idea I think we should consider is that God's promise doesn't always meet our expectations. His promises do not always meet our expectations. And so that's clearly what's happening in this moment. And we're going to see it continue to unfold. And I think what's interesting for us, because we had the same tendencies that they had back then, right? And I think when God's promise doesn't meet our expectations, what can happen is our expectations can then create false narratives that we believe. And here's what I mean by that. As I mean that we begin to believe lies and we draw lines that are untrue. So think about what they're probably thinking. They're probably started with this moment of belief where God loves me. Right. And so the next step down is then he's going to deliver me. He's offered that to me. And then what happens is they they tack a little expectation on. Right. And we all do this. So God loves me. He's going to deliver me immediately. And easily. Right. What's happening? Well, they're probably they're just tacking a little expectation on to what God's promised. And it makes sense. It fits in line of what they think is happening. God loves me. He's promised to deliver me. And so he's going to do it quickly. But what happens when we do that is um, our expectation gets disrupted when the plan doesn't go like we thought, right? And then what happens is when that gets disrupted, we're like, well, maybe God isn't going to deliver me. And I don't actually even know now if he loves me. So what's happening is we're going from belief to unbelief. And what we do is we add an expectation on to God's promises and it ends up leading us to false narratives. So I just think about us in our context. So God loves me. He's seen me. I know that, right? And he told me that he's going to provide for me. Why? Because he's a provider. We know that to be true. So what that means is, this is where we tackle the expectation. What that means is because he loves me and because he's going to provide for me, the job I just applied for, I'm going to probably get. Why? Well, because God's a provider and he loves me. But what happens is when we don't get that job, and that gets disrupted, it can create create a false narrative for us that God isn't actually that good of a provider, and He doesn't love me. Um, We see this a lot in um, a recovery ministry we have at our church. It's a recovery and discipleship ministry. It's called Regen. Um, It's been really helpful for our church, and um, when a marriage is in crisis, we say, hey, actually, we do have a marriage ministry, but we actually point them to this ministry because it's just like an intense soul work ministry. And what's happening is, we all know this, the marriage is just really exposing what's happening in the soul. And so we're like, hey, why don't you go for a year and just work on what is happening in your soul, take it to God, see what he has for you. And so I did that a couple of years ago. I went and focused on a few things and there was this guy in my group and he did this. He added on an expectation to God's promise and it led to a false narrative and it totally disrupted him. This is what happened. He came in, marriage was in crisis and he gets there for a couple months and the narrative of region is that God is about your recovery, right? He wants you back from the thing that has a stronghold in your life. He's about your recovery. And so for two or three months, I saw him believe that. He was on top, right? I saw him believe that, take hold of that idea. And so he said, God loves me. He cares about my recovery. But then he did what we like to do and he said, so God, he's going to reunite me with my wife and my kids. Now, Did God promise that? He didn't promise that. Could that happen? That could happen. But that was just a small expectation that was added on to the promise of recovery. And what happened was when that didn't happen in the first three months, he started to doubt if God really cared about his recovery. And then he started ultimately to doubt if God even cared about him and he stopped coming. So what's the point? Here's the point. I think we have to be careful to put expectations on God's promises in whatever way you do that. Verse 10, so the slave drivers and foremen went out and told the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt and um, in search of stubble to use as straw. 13, meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continued to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when we provided you with straw, they demanded. And then they whipped the Israelite foreman they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today? So they take the straw away. They stop meeting the quota. And what happens? The foreman, they get, they get punished. They get whipped. And so this is what's interesting. Is their life isn't actually getting better. It's actually getting worse. So Moses and Aaron received the direction from God. They go in faithful obedience and approach Pharaoh and their life gets worse. And you're like, I mean, what is happening? What is going on? And I think it's another idea for us to consider is that obedience doesn't always make our lives easier. It doesn't always make our lives easier. I mean, think about Moses and Aaron. Think about what they are thinking. They have had for real interactions with God. They know he's real. It's not a matter of immaturity or lack of understanding. Like they've, seen, they've had a real interaction with him. Moses knows that God is powerful. And they've received this direction from them, from God, to go do this thing and they do it faithfully. And then everything starts falling apart around them. And it no longer feels like the moment where everybody's bowing and worshiping. It doesn't feel like that anymore. And you got to think, it's hard for us when that happens, right? When we feel like we're trying to be faithful to what God's called us to do and obey what he's called us to do and everything gets worse. So I think about the high school kid who meets Jesus and he goes back to school that fall. And um, he's like, man, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm not having sex, I'm not, doing, I'm not partying, I'm not doing that anymore. Do his friends think that's cool? They do not. So for one of my friends, that was his story. And he started changing the way he lived and they just would laugh at him. They're like, man, we really miss the old you. If you ever want, if he ever wants to come back, we'd love to hang out with him. But the new you, you can just go do your own thing, right? And I think it's interesting that obedience doesn't necessarily always make our life easier. Um, If you're a business, if you're a business owner, when you get saved or God calls you to something, and you're trying to obey him with your business for, in a new way. So you're trying to be faithful and, and work with integrity. Here's what's true about that. Working with integrity is always harder, and it's usually more expensive. So you're like, God, I'm trying to be faithful and be honest with these people, but it's harder. I'm losing money, right? Or maybe this happens in a marriage where a man gets clear that God has something for him, and there's a way he hasn't been leading his wife. So he goes back home and he's like, all right, listen, I know we've been doing this and you've been saying this, but we're, we're changing all that. We're about, we, God's called us to something di- different and better and we're gonna change all that. Does the wife just say, oh, that's such a good idea, honey? No, she's like, what are you talking about? Man, we ha- we got a good thing going here, right? And then sometimes his life gets harder by trying to be faithful and obey. And I think the reason that it's helpful for us to think about this is that for those of us who want to follow Jesus, we're going to have to answer hard questions like this, is what happens when following Jesus doesn't go our way? Are we still willing to trust him and follow him and believe that he is good? That's the question that they're asking. Verse 15. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. We are given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand to make bricks. And Pharaoh says, you're just lazy. That's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you and you will still produce the same quota of bricks. Now notice, this is how you know unbelief has started to set in. Because when things get hard, what are the foremen doing? They're going to Pharaoh. They're not going to God. They're going to Pharaoh. That's how you know unbelief has began to set in. So their unmet expectations have probably created false narratives. They're beginning to doubt if God is good. And their obedience has led to harder circumstances. And so now what's happening is they're on this downward spiral where they find themselves in unbelief. And instead of going to the one who is in charge, they're going to the one who feels like he is in charge. And they go to Pharaoh. Just a little aside. I think it's interesting. Verse 19. The Israelite foreman could you could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told that you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. And as they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. And the foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. So just remember chapter 4, worship service, bowing down, hands up, God is good, right? Chapter five, they go to their leaders and they're like, listen, we hope God curses you and punishes you. Awesome to hear as a leader, right? And I honestly, this is my favorite verse in the whole passage. I think it's interesting that their immediate response is to go to Pharaoh. And then their second response is to blame the leadership. That when something goes wrong, their second thought is, well, this must be a problem with the leader. Like clearly something is wrong with the leadership here. That's why something is going wrong. So a couple years ago, I had a, um, I was helping just kind of get some student ministry worship started at our church. And God brought us this volunteer. She was amazing, had a lot of passion and a lot of energy. And we were utilizing her in a lot of different ways. And um, so what happened was she came to me, she was a med student. She came to me, she said, hey, I'm actually about to pick my hours up. And so um, I'm going to have less hours to give. And so she was serving as students and in adults. And I was like, well, great. Actually, why don't you just take the hours you have left and go to student ministry? Because we don't have anybody that can replace you there. If you can just stay there, that would be great. And she said, okay, in the moment, I thought all was good. She came up, she comes up to me about a week later and she says, hey, I'm just really kind of beginning to struggle with um, not being an adult. I really would rather be on adult stage, not student stage. And I said, I hear you. I was like, well, I said, we really do, like, we need you in students. It's not like, I mean, if you wouldn't have had more time at school, I would have never, ta- it's like, I didn't take you all from there, you know. I just need, need you to go one place. Well, um, it was real difficult for her. And I tried to suggest that maybe God was teaching her something through the transition. And, um, yeah, didn't go too well. So six months goes on. And um, we have just the run-of-the-mill end-of-year review, and we're just saying, hey, just checking in. How are things going? Um, how is serving? And she said a few things, and it got clear real quick that she was not happy, right? Not in a good spot. So we set up a, a, a future meeting that went three hours. And we get an hour in, and everything felt fine. And then an hour in, it turned. It turned real quick. And we. she took me back to that moment six months ago. And honestly, I'd forgotten about it. But she took me back to that moment six months ago. And that moment began a ton in her that was just really made it hard for her to even worship at our church. And in my opinion, I thought God was teaching her something. And I told her that. I was like, I just feel like God might be teaching you something in all this. She said, no, I've, I've checked. God isn't teaching me anything. I was like, well, this is a lose-lose right here. She said, I think you're just a bad leader. And she didn't say it that bluntly, but that's what I heard. And um, this is what was interesting is that moment was was catalytic for her because um, it made her unable to worship at our church. She ended up leaving our church, which was fine. I wanted her to be in a place where she could worship. But um, my prayer with her was, God, if this was on me, if this was bad leadership, then I hope you can make that scene. But if it's not, I hope that she can see that it wasn't just a leadership issue. That got, yet you were trying to teach her something. This is why I think it's helpful to note that this is happening. Is I think for a lot of us, one thing, one way we can know we're in a we're in a season of unbelief is we begin to blame other people for what we're feeling and what's going wrong. Now, bad leadership does happen. So I'm not saying that this is always happening. This this probably what happened in my case. Who knows? We'll know one day. God will let me know. He'll say, Yeah, you messed that one up. So we'll, we'll figure out one day. But this is what I will say: I do think sometimes when we begin to reject and blame other people, it might mean that we're we're spiraling toward unbelief. And this honestly is a hard spot to be when you can't accept or reject, or you can't accept or respect anybody who's trying to love you and care for you. And that's what's happening in this moment: is they're rejecting Moses, rejecting Aaron, and all the while Moses and Aaron are just doing exactly what God's told them to do. So I just thought that was a helpful thing to note is that it might not always be bad leadership. Maybe God's doing something bigger and we just can't see the full picture. Verse 22, Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people and you have done nothing to rescue them. So now it's not just the people. Now Moses and Aaron, they're here too. So everybody is in this pit of total unbelief. Now, here's what I realize about this text is um, they're enslaved, right? I don't know what that fully feels like. I don't know what it feels like to have someone beat me without me being able to do anything in that in response to it or without any justice bring ball to bear. I don't really understand that fully. But here's what, I, here's what I can know, and I know it's true for this room this morning is that there are circumstances that we go through that make it hard to trust God. That's just a fact. It may not be Egyptian slavery, but there are things that we deal with that make it hard to trust God. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you had parents that neglected you. Maybe you um, never really had income or money growing up to have the things that you needed. Maybe you were bullied in school. Maybe it was a compilation of all of that. I was in a conversation a week ago with a guy. And um, I believe God's going to do big things in him. But he's in a hard spot right now. And um, he was abused by his brother, his dad, cheated on his mom. And his mom blamed him for all of it. He's a 10-year-old kid. Then the church they were at um, kicked them out because they got a divorce because the dad left. So here I am. Now he's 30. And he's just beginning to deal with all of that in a new way. And my honest thought was, I mean, how does he trust God? How how can he have any sense that authority is a good thing? I don't know. (laughs) That would be a tough spot to be in, right? And here's what I would say, is that the enemy would love to convince us that things are bad in our life because God isn't good. He would love for us to believe that. He would love for my friend to believe that. He would love for him to believe that all of the 30 years of pain and misery and heartache that he has dealt with is because God is not good and God does not care. And I know that for some of us, you're like, yes, that feels right to me. And I have doubted and I am doubting right now. Is God good? And um, I was going to peek into chapter six a little bit because it's happier over there, at least the first part, right? I get the sad part. Thanks, James, for letting me. But I didn't really want to do that because I know that for a lot of us, most of life feels like Exodus 5. We're constantly fighting or failing to believe that God is good and that he cares about us. So here's a few applications I think that we um, should consider to help us this morning. Number one is this. We have to be careful, careful not to add expectations onto God's promises. It's easy for us to take what God has said and promised and offered and add our expectations or even our agendas onto his promises. And that is not good for our soul. It ultimately will lead us to despair because here's the thing is God is good and he is going to keep his promises, but he's going to do it in his own timing on his own terms. And so it's not even that some of the expectations we add are bad, right? For that guy in my recovery group, I really think that God may want to reunite him to his family, but God's going to do it in his own time, right? So I think we just have to be careful not to add our expectations on to God's promises. Number two, we can't let unmet expectations lead to false narratives. And I fleshed this out earlier, but I think this is critical for us because when we find ourselves in these dark moments where we're struggling, believing if God is good because our, our life is not good, whatever that is, Here's what I know, is that um, false narratives, they're right there. And so here's what I would say, is we have to surround ourselves with community and with truth. And it's really the only way that we're going to be able to stay strong in that dark moment, especially if you find yourself in an Exodus 5 situation where things are going downhill, right? But even if they're not, we have to make sure that we surround ourselves with community and truth because the goal is that we would actually stay In that moment, in a sense, where we do believe God, where we do trust God, and where we do hope in Him. Unbelief is not a good spot to live. Unbelief is actually the soil where sin grows, right? Because we're distancing ourselves from God. That's where Satan can really work. And so belief is the goal. So we have to surround ourselves. And we can't let unmet expectations lead to false narrative. And then when obedience makes life harder, we have to keep walking knowing that obedience to God is always the best move, regardless of the difficulty that comes, regardless of it. I'm trying to teach my daughter this, and it's a challenge every time I do it. Because when she asks for something to eat, we make her eat it because she asked for it. And she's like, I don't want to eat it. I'm like, well, you asked me for it, so you need to eat it. And then I'm reminded of all the things in this life that I start down, they get hard, that I want to quit. And I'm like, no, if it, when I am obeying God, no matter what that means, no matter how hard that is, I have to keep trucking. And then as always, when we, when we hear a text like this, and when we relate our suffering and our pain to their suffering and their pain, I think we need to be reminded that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. That God is good, but this world is not. It was made good, but it fell and now it's broken and things don't work like they should. We have experiences that we shouldn't have. And things don't go like we plan, And that's a reality of the world that we find ourselves in. So let's take a look. You have that picture, that graph. Um, this is a helpful thing for me when I think about the gospel and what it means for my life. Is um, there are things on the top left harms by me, right? There are things that I'm inflicting pain that I'm inflicting on people around me. So my kids, when they get older, they're going to say, my dad did this, this, and this, and it was really hard for me, right? That's just part of the world. Um, And then there's going to be things that happen in the bottom left, harms to you, that you have no control over. You can't undo them. They've been done to you, and um, God is kind, and it's going to be an act of faith and, 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 and unfaithfulness to just continue to walk through that. And then there's just the brokenness of the world, right? And I think a lot of times what we find ourselves is we get caught up in this cycle and we draw false lines and we say, well, this world is broken, so God must be broken. But th- the world is broken and God's going to fix it. So I think the thing that I would want you to think about with this is this sometimes harms to you and brokenness of the world, that's just where you're going to find yourself. But the hope is this, is that God knows this world is broken. He knows people are harming others, that people are receiving harm, that the world is broken. And he is concerned about its state and he has plans to renovate all of this and restore what has been lost. And just because this world is not good, it does not mean that God is not good. And there's some mystery in that, some of which I don't fully understand, but it's a truth that we have to hold on to. Is that God is good even when my circumstances are not. And here's a spoiler alert. Um, He's going to, He's going to bring deliverance in this book, and y'all are going to get to see it, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be even greater than they would have even imagined, but they don't feel that in Exodus 5. They don't believe that in Exodus 5, but he is going to bring deliverance, and that deliverance that he's going to bring is going to actually point to another deliverance that's going to come later for another group of people that were enslaved to sin and to death, and that deliverance is going to come in the person named Jesus. And here's what I would say. That's how we know God is good. It's because he was on a rescue mission in Exodus, and he was on a rescue mission with Jesus. And he has come to take care of our pain. He saw us in it, and he is concerned about it, and he still sees us. And when Jesus comes, he becomes the Savior who was tempted in every way. He didn't have a condo by the Sea of Galilee with his feet propped up right? He was beaten and mocked and abused. He knows our pain because he endured it. And one day there is a world coming where he puts all of this under his feet, where sin and death rule no more. And that's how we know and that's what we can trust that God is good. But this is the difficulty, is when we're in the Exodus 5 moment, it's hard to remember that. So what does it look like for you, even when things are bad, to be people that believe that are captured by a good God and even in rough times can hold on to the fact that he sees us, that he has a plan and that he's going to ultimately bring full deliverance one day. Let me pray for us. King Jesus, we just want to worship you now like they did in chapter four. And we realize that it's hard to to stay here. It's hard to stay in this space where we're trusting that you're good, where we're hoping in your promises. Um, So God, I just want to pray for this church. I pray that this would be a community of believers um, that brings truth to one another and that holds each other up. And that when we start hearing and smelling that um, people are kind of sliding down the spiral from belief to unbelief, that we would just surround them, hug them, love them and remind them that you're good. You're in charge. Pharaoh's not in charge. Our circumstances are in charge. Our boss isn't in charge. The injustice that's been done toward us is not in charge. And we know that because you've defeated all that. You've overcome the world, Jesus. And so um, I just pray that as we go out in this world this week, that people would see that we're captured by a belief in a God who is good and that, that that would change who we are. The fact that you see us, that that would change our hearts and that we would fight to believe it. And so God, help us see ways that we go from belief to unbelief. Help us understand that. Help us get awareness around that. Um, so that we don't get to a spot where we've rejected you and where we're not trusting you. And God, one of the most beautiful things about your gospel is that the most broken situations, the most difficult times, people that have nothing really in this world to live for can have joy. We don't understand all that, but we want to tell you that we're grateful for it. Pray this in your name. Amen.